Check one, two, check one, two. Hey, everybody. Uh, Parker McGoldrick here, hosting the Extra Point Podcast. Glad you're tuning in. Um, we're Here we go. We're going to dive right in. Uh, so Sunday, you heard an overview from the elders um, on the, the series that we've been in, which is Union with Christ, right? We've been walking through Ephesians 1 through 3, and we've been kind of slowing down and highlighting all of the in Christ passages. And actually in chapter one, I think it's used 11 times and then throughout the rest of the book, it's used a, a lot more. But we've been, we've been slowing down and looking at all these in Christ passages. And on Sunday, you heard a review of that. So each, the, each like paragraph, um, each thought, each main point of Ephesians has an in Christ uh, thesis statement almost. You know, in Christ, we are blessed. In Christ, we can, excuse me, we can pray for one another. In Christ, we are made alive. Uh, in Christ, we have peace, et cetera, et cetera. That, that was the, the sermon on Sunday. But today, I actually want to um, kind of put that on its head, and I want to focus on an opposite truth. Now, uh, I say opposite truth because it's not the opposite of something that's true, which would be a lie or a falsehood, but rather there's another truth in the scriptures that is also true, but it's kind of opposite of us being in Christ, and that is that Christ is in us, right? It's true that we are in Christ, but what's also true, it's an opposite truth, which it's still true, is that Christ is in us. This is why Paul says uh, elsewhere in the scriptures, Christ in you is the hope of glory. This is why we teach our, our children, you know, ask Jesus into your heart, which is a uh, oversimplification, but it's true. Whenever we are saved, whenever we say Jesus is Lord, according to Paul and Matthew, which is the gospel. Whenever we say Jesus is Lord, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. So Christ is the presence of God and Christ's presence is actually in us. You could say his spirit, his breath, his presence is in us. Now, <clears throat> there's one passage in particular where I'm getting this from, and that's Ephesians 2, verses 21 and 22. Paul just summarized, I'll give you a quick, a quick, <laughs> a uh, brief, I think I tried to say quick and brief, uh, a brief summary real quick of chapter two to get us to verse 21 and 22. Basically, Paul said that you're alienated. You used to be foreigners. You used to be strangers, but now in Christ, you're brought together. Verse 19, he says, you're no longer aliens anymore. You're not strangers anymore. You're saints. You're citizens. You're members of the household of God. By the way, this household of God, it's being built upon the apostles and the prophets, but even more chiefly, it's being built upon Jesus. He's the cornerstone, he's the foundation, he's the basis for this house, and it's growing into a holy temple in the Lord. And verse 22 says that we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Paul uses two words here, temple and dwelling place. Now, we have to remember that Paul's Bible was basically, or is, our, what we call the Old Testament. The Hebrew Bible uh, is another name for it, which I prefer and I use it sometimes. So if I say Hebrew Bible, I mean Old Testament. So Paul's reading his Hebrew Bible and he is, whenever he says these words like this, like temple, like dwelling place, he's actually importing a whole uh, definition. He's importing whole stories. He's importing a whole theology into that. It would be like if, if Ephesians was a blog post or an article online, it would be like uh, the word temple in chapter two, verse 21 would be blue and underlined. It'd be like a hyperlink. And the words dwelling place would be blue and underlined. And then you 
you know, put your mouse over it, you click on it, and it brings you to another article, or in this case, another book, and then all of these passages, all of these references to, to give you more of a definition, to give you kind of proof almost of what he is saying when he, or what he means when he says temple. So at the risk of oversimplification, we're going to kind of look at what temple and dwelling place means. And ultimately, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, and ultimately, at, at, its, at its core, it means God's presence. The temple was where God's presence was. The dwelling place, which is another word for tabernacle, actually, uh, is where God's presence was. Genesis 1, what do we see? God's presence is with Adam and Eve. It's with humanity. Genesis 3, they sin. And they are banished from the presence of God. They're outside of Eden. They're outside of the presence of God. And it's actually guarded by two angels with a sword. Remember that uh, imagery for a minute, for a second. Eventually, you see God's presence show up again, probably most notably in the, when he appears to Moses and he appears to Moses in what? A burning bush. So God's presence is fire, it's, it's smoke. It doesn't consume the bush and it doesn't actually burn Moses' hand, but it's there in, in, the form of, in the form of a fire. Then eventually God's presence leads Israel out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And what's his presence? His presence is a pillar of cloud or smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night, right? You get to Exodus 19 the, uh, on Mount Sinai. When Israel is at the foot of Mount Sinai, about to get the laws, <clears throat> uh, God's presence descends on the mountain. The mountain starts to shake and it, 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 it is covered in smoke. It's covered in clouds. It's covered in thunder and lightning. That is God's presence, right? And, and when Moses goes up and gets those laws, he also gets a bunch of laws on saying like, okay, uh, here's how you're gonna build a house for me, you know? God is saying that. This is the uh, Parker McGoldrick revised standard version. Um, and uh, so, God's pre- so God gives Moses these laws uh, on how to build a tabernacle, how to build a tent. And this is typically where most of us stop our yearly Bible reading plan because it's, it's actually kind of boring and super long. But anyway, the point of it is that in the middle of the nation of Israel, all of the nation, all of the tribes were, were set around the tabernacle. They encircled, they encompassed the tabernacle. So the tabernacle, the presence of God was in the middle of this people group. It was supposed to, and, and the, the, the nation was supposed to reflect that. God is in the midst of us. God is our, our, our center. God is our foundation. God's presence is there. And inside of that tabernacle was a room called the Holy of Holies, which was guarded by angels with swords, by the way, referencing back to um, Genesis chapter three. Anyway, inside of that is the Holy of Holies. And whenever God's presence descended, it says whenever Moses went in there, God's presence descended in the form of a cloud and sometimes in the form of fire. And it was so powerful and so um uh, dangerous that if you went in there without doing the proper ceremonial rituals, without giving the proper sacrifices, taking it uh, lackadaisically, if you went in there like that, you'd be struck dead immediately. So that's the presence of God. Eventually, we know Israel uh, gets into the land of Canaan. They kind of set up their own 
monarchy and David is king. David's in this luxurious, extravagant palace and he looks across the way and he sees a little rinky-dinky tent and that's where God's presence is. It's the tabernacle. And he thinks to himself, what the heck? How am I in this nice palace when God is in a tent? So he's like, God, can I make you a, a building? And in this really weird conversation, God says, no, you have too much blood on your hands, but your son can do it. And so David's like, oh, bummer, okay. So then Solomon comes around and he's like, all right, I'm gonna build you this uh, temple, uh, God. <laughs> this is Solomon talking to God. And at the end of, it talks about all the details, which are actually uh, garden imagery. Uh, you see in these details in First Kings, um, just trees and fruit and um, uh, fields and all of this imagery that is just directly hyperlinked, if you will, to the garden imagery. And what was in the garden? It was God's presence. So the temple is finished. Solomon then prays this kind of prayer of dedication for the temple. And what's the first thing that happens in 1 Kings 7 and 1 Kings 8 is that the presence of God descended on the temple in the form of that's right, smoke, fire, right? And so now God's presence is at actually the highest point in Israel and it's in the center of Israel. So it's supposed to be God with his people. Now, we know that uh, God with his people wasn't as um, uh, true of the people, right? Because they didn't do a great job. They kept, they defamed the temple. They kept... Um, sinning, they kept rebelling, they kept actually making different gods and said, this is the presence of God. This is the presence of God. So eventually God's presence just, he's like, all right, that's it. I've had enough. And he leaves the temple. So that's what the prophets are all talking about. They're like, okay, where's the presence of God? Like he's Israel, listen up, get your act together. Uh, the presence of God has left because you guys are, are rebellious. And then they get, you know, into exile, all this stuff. Sorry, I'm going, I'm going way too quickly, but you're, you're getting the point, right? Is that God's presence was always in the form of either smoke or flame, and it was powerful. It drew people to it, but it also pushed people away who were too scared to be there. Fast forward, you get to Jesus, and in John, this is really important, in John 1.14, it says that uh, Christ dwelt among us. Now, that word dwelt is the word for tabernacle. Christ tabernacled among us, which means what? That's a claim. That's a claim that's saying Jesus is God. He is God's presence. Now the presence of God was, was lifted up from uh, the temple and Ezra and Nehemiah, they tried to rebuild the temple to try to recreate, you know, this lightning in a bottle, so to speak. But once it was, once it was recreated, the presence, no, there was no smoke. There was no flame. There was no presence of God. Then you get Jesus and he says, and John says that he is the presence of God with us. Emmanuel, God with us, right? So that's the presence of God. Then Acts 1, Jesus ascends into heaven. And as soon as he ascends, he says, I'm actually gonna be sending my presence, my breath, my wind, my spirit. It's all the same word. I'm gonna be sending it to you. And in Acts 2, Pentecost, we know what happens. The spirit descends and it looks like what over everybody's head? It looks like tongues of fire. God's presence is no longer somewhere where we have to go to it in order to be in the presence of God. And if we go to it incorrectly, by the way, we'll be struck dead. But rather, his presence is now with and in us individually. 
Christ in us, the hope of glory, is the presence of God. So when Paul says we're being built up into a holy temple in the Lord, that means we, the church, are being built up together into God's presence. And you, he said in verse 22, he says, and you are being built together into a dwelling place of God by the spirit. There it is. The spirit dwelling inside of us, the church. Yes, us individually, but I think Paul's point here is us corporately, the church. The the spirit is dwelling inside the church and we are now the presence of God such that the whole world is different when they come into contact with us. The whole world looks at us differently because they're like, oh, you're, you are that present. I think of it this way, of an embassy. One time I studied in Israel and uh, there was a lot going on. There was like conflict and violence and all this stuff. And I needed to, I had to go to the, we had to go to the embassy, the U.S. embassy. And as soon as we stepped into that building, it was like, oh, we all exhaled. We were at ease. Why? Because we were in the presence of an actually a different country. We were in Israel, but technically we were on U.S. soil, right? The church is the embassy of God. Because we are indwelt by the Spirit and Christ is in us, we actually are are a different country. We're a different kingdom. We're a different world. So that when people see us, they they taste us, they look at us, they feel us, they, they taste something and they see something and they feel something that is completely different. And they think, whoa, this is a different world. This is a different kingdom. And all of that is what Paul implores us to be when he says, yes, you are in Christ, but also Christ is in you. It's the hope of glory and you are the temple. You are the dwelling place. So I hope that adds a little bit of clarity to um, the end of Ephesians 2. I hope that that can challenge your way of thinking as you go about your day to day, thinking, wow, I, I myself am an embassy. I'm an ambassador uh, for Christ. So. We will see you later. 